My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, of any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. I hate to admit this, but my own personal oddity meter is a bit miscalibrated, maybe even broken. It's definitely kind of off. After years and years and years of doing this, of searching out the strangest stories and artifacts and sites, these days, I don't know what odd is to other people. So when I look for something odd, it's contacted by all that other oddity I've searched out to the point where, you know, half the time, I don't know what another person might think of this site or this artifact. Sometimes I will post something on social media that I think is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And I will just hear the proverbial crickets. And other times I'll just throw something out there that I saw, just kind of what I thought was a minor thing or something not worth going into. And people will ask me a million questions. I'll get emails. I'll get DMs. And it surprises me every time. Very rarely do I nail my own obsession with oddity with somebody else's interest in oddity. It's just, I don't know, whatever. The first time somebody hears about a vampire grave, right? That's mind-blowing. A vampire grave that, that people actually dug up corpses and immolated them and rearranged their bones so they couldn't attack you. And it turns out to be tuberculosis, right? The first time you hear that story, you're amazed. But, you know... After you've heard that story a dozen times, two dozen times, or been to all the graves in New England where that happened, like I have, you kind of forget that that's really, really, really odd and a really great story. So I say all that preface to say that this weekend I posted on Twitter the following tweet. Let me pull it up and read it to you. Uh, It's a picture of me in front of uh, an oddity, and it says, I was in Lynn, Massachusetts today checking out the site where a 19th century spiritualist created a mechanical messiah called the God Machine that was to be self-replicating and perpetually motioned. The ghosts of Ben Franklin and Socrates gave him the plans. Then the story gets weird. So it was just a tease. I mean, the picture is me in front of a building. It's not that interesting of a picture. But man, I got so much interest in the story. And a story I thought was maybe more well-known than it actually was. Uh, And so that's motivated me to sit down in front of the mic and tell that story. Tell the story of the God Machine and the man who built it in Lynn, Massachusetts. The man who was responsible for this entire story is named John Murray Spear. He was born in 1804. He became a universalist minister. So he was a a universalist, which meant that, hold on, let me flip through all my mental database of religions. It means that, oh, universal, that everybody is saved. Basically, everybody on the planet, no matter who you are, no matter how bad you are, good you are, or what ideas you have, or religions you subscribe to, you're going to be redeemed at the end. You're going to go to heaven. You'll be fine. <laughs> so it's, it's a very hopeful religion. And it really fits his character. He was a, a very highly motivated social reformer. He believed in abolishing slavery. He, ab- he believed in eradicating poverty. He believed in reforming prisons. He believed in women's rights. He believed all these things in the 19th century when the general tide of belief wasn't in those directions. So here we have a very hopeful, optimistic, positive guy that really had a good bearing on what we should do as people. And then one day he discovered spiritualism. He grew up in the 19th century, uh, and that was the time in America when spiritualism was all the rage. Everybody was talking to dead people. It was a fascinating time or a fascinating vein of occurrences in the timeline of America. And what we're digging into, if you ever dig into spiritualism, why it existed, why it was such a big resurgence, what happened during that time. 
It's one of my favorite American histories. So John Murray Spear, universalist, general good guy, sounds like, he discovered spiritualism and became quite adept at it. He could do automatic writing, right? That's when spirits use your hands to write messages. You, you, you put your hand in a stylus on a writing tablet and you go into a trance and then the spirits use your body and writing abilities to, you know, write out a message to the living. But Spear wasn't your average medium or psychic or any of those things. He had ideas and his ideas came from a very interesting place. So he believed that there were, that the afterlife is, is very clicky, right? There are bands and groups that, you know, got together. And he started hearing from some of these groups. Uh, the Association of Beneficence, I believe, is one. Uh, the Band of Electrolyzers, or maybe it was the, Asso the Association of Electrolyzers. We're talking to him, and its members, the members of these groups, included such Western luminaries as Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. And Socrates, you know, people who, you know, we still talk about today, were talking to him directly from the spirit world. And what they told him aligned directly with his interest. What they told him was they wanted to give him the plans for a new utopia. They wanted to help him bring about the social reform that he wanted to bring about. And the way they thought to do that was to bring back Jesus Christ. The second coming of Christ would herald in the new era. That's what many, many Christian-based religious groups believed that return of Christ will solve all of our problems. So instead of praying for that supernatural return, what he learned from Ben Franklin and Socrates is that they could build the Messiah. They could build a mechanical Messiah. Because again, in the 19th century, not only were spiritualism all the rage, but so were machines. But think about that for a second. And now that I've stepped back, now that everybody on Twitter and my Gmails have like thrown tomatoes at me. It is really odd to have the idea from Ben Franklin to build a mechanical messiah. So what Spear did is he got a group of people to support him and to follow him in this endeavor to fund it. It cost about $2,000 to build a messiah, which sounds cheap. It's, I think it's like, I don't know, 50, 60, $70,000 today, but still a deal. If it was half a million dollars, it's pretty a good deal to be able to build the second coming of Christ in machine form. But that's what he did. And he found a place in Lynn, Massachusetts called High Rock. This is a massive outcropping of rock. It's like a giant hill with, you know, boils of rock all over it uh, that looks out over the entire town of Lynn. You can see the Atlantic Ocean. You can see the Boston skyline from there. And, you know, it is an impressive place. And I was, I was there on Saturday. That's what prompted the tweet. And I was sitting there on the site where this God machine was built, looking at across the, across the water and across Boston. And it's, it's a great site. He, he picked it well. He got a house there. Uh, I think some of the followers or some of his friends gave him a place to uh, build this machine. And then he built it. It took him nine months. And that's, that's a very key amount of time because he used a lot of biological terminology when describing this machine. His name for it was the new motive power. And that was this idea that, you know, it had perpetual motion. It could always move on its own, that it was self-replicating, right? It could build more of itself. And that, that tied into his idea of abolishing slavery, for instance, right? Where if we had tons of mechanical labor, then we wouldn't have slaves, which is, again, very optimistic of him and very, you know, believes a lot about the human soul that I probably don't share. But anyway, so... He also called it the infant motor. And of course, nine months infant, he had this idea that this machine he was building wouldn't be a fully formed messiah, but would be some kind of infant version messiah. So it's a, it's a nativity scene, right? So up there on this giant crag of rock, this hill in Lynn, Massachusetts, is the nativity scene. There's this mechanical Jesus in the manger. There is John Murray Spear as 
the confused father, <laughs> or the confused Joseph, not the father, actually. And then, where's Mary, right? He got a Mary. He got a woman to come in and play the Mary of the New Dispensation, they were called. So, a new Mary. So, he built it. It, it was built out of, uh, the materials include magnets and copper and zinc, different stuff like that. And I'll explain why I'm being vague about that in a second. But anyway... Built the machine, it had limbs, was fastened to a tabletop, and then he tried to bring it to life. He did this in two ways. One way was by building a, a suit for himself out of copper and zinc and magnets and stuff, and connecting himself to the new mode of power, to the god machine, and imbue it with his own life. When that didn't work, that's where the new Mary came in. She came in and for two hours had a simulated birth, basically. She wasn't pregnant, I don't think, but she simulated birth because that energy was supposed to help the god machine birth itself basically and she touched it and it was reported later on in the in one, one of the spiritualist rags that it actually did move as a result of this energy transfer so you can see the plan already right the pieces were technologically based they were physical pieces but the plan wasn't to have some kind of you know great before its time machine that could do things that only tesla could think of um it's, well actually speaking of tesla john murray spear had other ideas from the electrolyzers and you know the dead poet society up, up upstairs he had ideas about a wireless network, right, that Tesla also had and that today we actually have. Ideas around floating vehicles, I believe, other things. So it wasn't just the God machine, but that was the important one because that was going to redeem humankind. So anyway, back to my point, you see he just kind of built this thing out of materials without actually uh, working plans. The idea was it was supposed to be a physical machine powered by spiritual energy. So it didn't matter if like you, if you broke it down that you couldn't figure out how it worked. It was a miracle, just like baby Jesus in the manger. So there you go, the God machine. That's how we got where we are today, this utopia that we are in. We were saved by a mechanical messiah built by the hands of John Murray Spear. All right, so obviously it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Uh, in fact, it was thought to be a hoax. It was thought to be uh, a mistake. <laughs> One prominent spiritualist even thought it was a joke played by the spirits on John Murray Spear. So what happened next was he ran. He had to get out of High Rock and Lynn. So he went to Randolph, New York, where he tried to continue his experiments with the God Machine. He found a place where he thought uh, was high enough and had enough, whatever, mystic energy to actually make it work when it didn't work in good old Lynn. But according to the story, according to his story, a mob of people came and destroyed it. Thought it was blasphemous. And you can tell the story already, right? I've been comparing it to um, the nativity, but really it's also a Frankenstein story, which came out, you know, decades and decades before the new mode of power. So it's a very good analogy for Frankenstein, right? You have the human builder harnessing the power of God to create new life that gets destroyed by a pitchfork-wielding mob at the end. But who knows if that's what happened. There's no documentation that a mob snuck in and broke it up. In fact, it could have been John Murray Spear himself. Uh, out of frustration, out of embarrassment that it didn't work, uh, out of anger at Ben Franklin, he could have destroyed it. Or the one I like to think or hope is that it's still around somewhere in some dusty barn in upstate New York. There is this weird contraption that nobody knows what it is or what it's supposed to do. And just by looking at the pieces, it doesn't look like it does anything. That's my hope. I know what you're saying. You're waiting for me to say I'll post a link to an image of the God Machine in the notes. I can't do that because it didn't survive. No plans, no detailed description survived. We have no idea what the God Machine looked like. And that's really interesting to me. <laughs> it almost makes the story better, honestly. Almost like we weren't ready. Like Socrates was like, you're not ready for this. Make sure nobody ever sees this thing again. Sorry, Spear, you did your best. We think it had limbs and some kind of respiratory system, whatever that means, with the mechanical creation in the 1900s, and it was affixed to a table. So obviously in your mind, you immediately go to a robot. This was a robot, right? This was a robot. This was a mechanical being 
that Spear was trying to energize. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It doesn't sound totally like a robot, but it doesn't matter. It's all conjecture. Unless, again, it surfaces in that dusty barn in Randolph, New York at some point. So you can tell how off I was to overlook this story in a public way. I didn't overlook the story in the sense that I went there. I've been wanting to go to Lynn, Massachusetts, to High Rock for a long time, just haven't been able to get to it. But again, which also might be a, a ding against me that I didn't immediately run out to that place the second I heard about it, because it's only like 40 minutes away from me. So I went there on Saturday, and in the freezing cold, and it's a park, you park outside of it, you climb a little, little tiny trail, it's not even a lot of walking. And you're just, like I said, you can see everything from there. The Boston skyline, the Atlantic Ocean, all of Lynn. There's only one building remaining on that crest. It's a stone building. It was boarded up and no trespassing signs and cameras and graffiti, all that stuff. It was that kind of place as well, by the way. I had to like kind of wade through li empty liquor bottles and cigarette packs to uh, get to the top. But there's a stone house there that I'm pretty sure is um, contemporary with whatever house that John Murray Spear stayed in for the nine months that he built the God Machine. And then above it, just above it on a rock, and you can take a you can take a path up to this building behind it, it is an observatory. It's about 115 years old, 85 feet tall, and I think the hill itself is 170 feet tall. So you're really far up there when you go to the top of this observatory. There's a telescope inside. Obviously, you can't go inside unless there's an event or whatever, but you can go to like a viewing platform in the back of the tower and see everything I just described. It wasn't there when John Murray Spear was there, but I think it was built in 1905, as I mentioned, but it took the place of another observatory that was in the same spot. There was an observatory back there. There were other houses around, but the site other than that is basically exactly what John Murray Spear knew as he built the God Machine, the infant motor, the motive power, the mechanical messiah. That's when you know something's really cool, when it can be described in so many cool names. I don't even know what to call it this episode because I want to call them all those things. They're just really cool names. And that's it. I was hoping when I was visiting there that I would be able to see a plaque, that there would be some mention of the new motive power there or John Murray Spear or spiritualism. This should be a spiritualism landmark. That's something, I, that's something I also check out all the time is spiritualist landmarks. And there's a lot of them. And this should be one of them. There should be a plaque there. But there isn't. Uh, nobody would know. Everybody can tell right away it's a historic spot because that giant tower. But nobody would know unless you told them, unless I tweeted it, I guess, <laughs> that on that ground, one of the biggest experiments in spiritualism took place. So I will put in the notes a link to a book about John Murray Spear that you can check out if you want to dig deeper into it. I will put there a link to photos on Otis. I'll put a bunch of photos of the site um, that you can see for yourself. Obviously, no photos of the motive power, the God Machine. Although you can go online and see a lot of people's like vision of it. There's a, there's a guy out in Colorado that actually built something he calls the God Machine. He's an artist, one of those guys that does that kind of thing. There are kind of sketches online. Uh, other than that, that's it. That's a you know a quick episode that I didn't expect to do this weekend. I'm J.W. Oker, and this has been an episode of Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast.